How is everyone? Do you all have your snacks for the Super Bowl all chosen, ready to go? Did you know that the survey of Super Bowl winners here at Cibolo Creek Community Church has determined the victor for the last 12 years? So let's do a survey. How many of you are cheering for the Kansas City Chiefs to win today? Oh, a very enthusiastic Chiefs crowd. How many of you are cheering for the Philadelphia Eagles? <laughs> I got four, four. Well, you know what? I'm from Pennsylvania, but I'm cheering for the Chiefs. And um, the truth of the matter is my team's not in it. So I just want a great game. Just want a great game. I hope we all have a great time spending uh, family and friends and enjoying the game. So I was thinking we might be due for a, a you are here. You know what a you are here is? You know, if you go to like um, an amusement park or you go to some, you know, tourist area of an urban location or maybe you go to like an outdoor shopping mall and you'll find like these maps with... Um, a picture of the buildings and the streets and stuff. And there's always, you know, the star that says, you are here. So let's do a you are here with the discussion that we've been having here at Cibolo Creek and kind of get oriented to where we are right now. So I started off the year in January um, telling you that we had made a decision that we are going to explore a single topic all year of 2023. That we are going to explore the idea of what is a disciple of Jesus? What was a disciple of Jesus? What is a disciple of Jesus here in the 21st century? And that we were going to look at it from a number of different angles over the next 12 months. And um, we also shared with you that our churches, pastors, and leaders, we've been giving a lot of time and energy to thinking through, like, how do we talk about this with a church family? How do we describe a disciple and, and our pursuit of it? And we decided there was three kind of essential expressions or dynamics to that discussion. And so here's what we're exploring. That we think a disciple is somebody who spends time with Jesus. Getting to know Jesus and understanding his heart and, and, and relating to him in a number of different ways. We see the disciples in the Gospels spending time with Jesus in a variety of circumstances and situations which Jesus uses to invest in their life because of the time together. So we're exploring this idea of, of being with Jesus. Then we want to explore this idea of becoming like Jesus. If we look at Jesus as described in the, particularly in the story of the Gospels, we see certain character traits and certain virtues and certain attitudes that were descriptive of his life. And so as disciples of his, we would be interested in asking ourselves the question, do I, do I reflect those kind of virtues? Do I possess those kinds of attitudes? So looking at becoming more like Jesus in that way and then asking the question of, you know, are we doing what Jesus did? Looking at Jesus and how he directed his time and his energy and who he pursued and and what he, what he was most interested in doing, asking the self, ourselves the question, that if we're going to be followers of Jesus, then as Jesus heads off in a certain direction, as his disciples, we would follow after him in that same direction. And then what we decided that uh, the first part of the year, through about April, we're going to explore this idea of being with Jesus. 
And particularly the question like, how do I have a relationship with Jesus who I can't see? Or I can't have a conversation with like you and I are accustomed to having conversations. Or it's not like I can just call Jesus up on the phone and say, hey, let's go get some burgers and hang out and catch up with one another. How do you have a relationship like that? I mean, the big question is how, how does a human being have a relationship with a divine being? And so we've been exploring that from a couple of different angles. So we've been talking a lot about faith. We've been talking a lot about like the human heart, not the one that the organ in our chest, but that, that intangible part of us that does relate with life. And we talked about a number of different expressions of that, and we talked about our soul. And so last week we, we were exploring this idea that God has established several practices as essential, necessary to nurturing the health of your soul, the strength of your faith, and the quality of your life. That if we think of our soul like a garden, there's certain things that we have to honor, the things we have to do in order for our garden to thrive. And so last week I was explaining that I think there's several practices that nurture our soul, but two of them certainly would come to the top of the list. So we talked about the study of scripture last week. That understanding, not just stu- by a Bible study, but really seeking after an understanding of the words of God and the truth that they contain is essential to nurturing our soul. Today I want to talk about this one, the practice of prayer. As something that we do to nurture a relationship with Jesus. Now, there literally have been hundreds of Thousands of books written over the centuries on the topic of prayer. And when you think about the number of sermons that have been preached on the topic of prayer, there'd be hundreds of times of the hundreds of thousands. I mean, prayer gets talked about a lot. But I, I think if people were honest, all these authors, all these preachers, at the end of the day, I think most of them would have to at least admit they don't really know how prayer works. Or certainly there's, there's, there's a number of very difficult things about prayer that are hard to explain. And so I, I want to talk with you today a bit about prayer. But I don't know if I'm the guy to do it. I mean, like, honestly, I, there's been few things about my own spiritual journey since the time I became a Christian that I've wrestled with more than the matter of prayer. Like, I, I think like I pray a lot, but I still don't understand it. I don't always recognize how it works. And so I have a lot of questions. I have quite a few doubts. In fact, if I was completely honest with you, I'd tell you that the, the, um, the biggest hissy fits that I've ever thrown in my spiritual journey have all been related to prayer. Because I've found prayer to be very frustrating. I mean, I, I pray for good things. I, I pray for things that I believe to be right. I, I pray for noble things. I, I pray for other people. It's not even about something for myself. I pray for other people, things that are good and right and noble. And yet it seems like nothing happens. 
Nothing by way of answers, nothing that I can recognize as any evidence of change as a result of my prayers. And I'm talking about like seasons of my life, asking God and asking in faith. Because I, I, I believe that God created the universe by just simply speaking words. I believe that he parted the Red Sea. I believe that he sent manna from heaven to feed the nation of Israel. I believe that Jesus walked on water and turned water into wine and made blind eyes see and lame legs walk. I believe all of that. And I, I believe that God is capable. And I, I, I hold my little measly prayers up to those kinds of miraculous endeavors. And I go, surely you could answer one or two of them from time to time. But it doesn't always feel like he does. And so if I'm honest, I, I mean, I'm sorry you have to see me this way, but there have been times that I, I've just said, you know, why even bother? Why bother praying? I mean, if you're not going to answer them, why, why? Because it just raises my expectations. I think you can, but I don't know that you will. And I have all these expectations that you could. And then when you don't, I'm left frustrated sometimes annoyed and angry, certainly disappointed, and at times disillusioned. Like disillusioned to the point that I say, why even bother? It's like talking to a wall. And I struggle, I go round and round and I think to myself, you know, God, if you're waiting for me to like get my act together, if you're waiting for me to behave myself so that I might merit your answer, I, that's never going to happen because I'm a sinner and I'm really good at it. And, and, and if it's about like, you know, the magic words or dialing in my motive to just the right sync with you that I might get what I'm asking for, I, I can't read your mind I'm never going to figure out exactly the right way to say it. So why even bother? But I'm suspicious that I'm not the only one in the room who's ever felt like that. And I'm suspicious that perhaps we still don't really understand prayer. Or maybe I don't. That perhaps enough people who've influenced my life over the past 60 years were, were not honest enough that I ended up operating on a whole set of misinformation about how prayer really works and what it's really for. So here, here's where I'm leaning these days. Over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, I've been just wrestling with God over the topic of prayer. And, and, and here's where I am. That maybe, maybe prayer is not about request. It's not really about asking God for stuff. That maybe what prayer is really about is relationship. It's about how we relate to Jesus.
so there's this verse in the Bible that every time I read it, it just, it does something inside of me. And what's interesting about it, it, it says nothing about prayer. But the more I understand it, I think it's all about prayer. In the first century, James the Apostle wrote a letter to the early church. And he wrote these words, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. I mean, what's it saying? It sounds like it's saying that if we make a move toward God, then he makes a move toward us. But what's interesting is this idea of draw near. It isn't about intentionality. It's not saying, hey, if you'll make the first move to God, then he'll meet you in the middle. That's not what the verse is saying. This term, draw near, is a very intimate term. It's about desire and longing and wanting. I, I want to be with you. I want to connect with you. I I want something more. So I'll draw near to you. And what the verse is saying is that as we want God more, as we desire Jesus more, then we find him there in the desire, in the longing, in the wanting. And, And I'm thinking... That of all the things that we can do to draw near to God, none of them is as important or as effective as prayer. At the very top of the list of ways that I draw near to God is I do that through prayer. Does that make sense? Because I think prayer demonstrates something to God about our desire. It demonstrates that we think he's worth the effort. We think that he's worth the time, that he's, he's that much of a priority to us, that we have a desire and a mindset to want to be connected with him. I think prayer does that. It's about showing God who he is to us. The prayer shows God you're willing to make the effort. That you're willing to take the time of all the things that we need to do in a day, in a week, in a month. And we chase after so many things. But I, I think prayer is a way that we say, God, of all the things I have to do, you're worth some of my time. You're that important to me. That I'll I'll protect the priority of being connected with you. If there's things getting in the way of taking time to pray, then I'm I'm letting other things be more important than they should. That I that I pursue the desire. It it shows God that we're willing to to live with Him in mind all the time. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. He said, "Pray without ceasing." Like, never stop praying. Well, think about that. If, if in our minds, prayer is simply, you know, I, I, always, I have to be alone, and I have to be on my knees, or I have to be, you know, making requests of God because that's prayer, then how do you do that unceasingly? Because, like, you got kids to raise. You got jobs to get to. You got grass to mow. So maybe it isn't about... A posture and and asking. It's about the desire to be connected. 
the wanting of the relationship, I can do that no matter where I go and no matter what I do. I mean, I think what prayer is saying is, God, I want to be near you. I want to be near you. Does that make sense? You know, probably 15 years ago, I determined that I'd, I'd, only, I'd only tell the truth. Like when I was teaching and preaching, I would just tell people the truth about what I do and don't understand. So here's what I'm going to do today. I'm just going to tell you three things that I have become convinced and confident this is what prayer is about. Of all my questions, of all my doubts, of all the skepticism, I'll tell you three things that I, at least I've nailed down. I say, no, I'm sure of this. You guys ready? So, so the first one is this. This is what I'm convinced of. Prayer is a conversation with God. Now, I was tempted to write prayer is just a conversation with God, but I knew that some of you'd go, just a conversation? You're talking to the creator and saying, yeah, it wasn't about just God. It was about, it's just a conversation. There's no right or wrong way. There's no right or wrong time. There's no formal, sophisticated way. that It's, it's just conversation. I've often said, if you take words... And you put them to music and you share that that's called singing. If you take words and you write them on a piece of paper or on a screen, that's called writing. If you take words and you use them for instructing people, that's called teaching. If you take words and you use them to inform people, we might call that reporting. I think that when we take words, whether that's verbal or just the words that we think in our heads and our heart, I think when we take words and we intend them for God, that's called praying. Praying is a conversation with God. That's why in the Bible we see all sorts of different prayers because they were conversations and sometimes, yes, the conversation was asking God, requesting something from God. That was the conversation they were having. And, and sometimes we just see people um, bragging about God, complimenting God. That's called praising. They were celebrating who God was. And, and sometimes we see people having conversations of gratitude. They were just thanking God for something that he had done on their behalf. And other times, yes, we see people making requests with great passion. They're pleading. They're begging with God. They need his help. That, the old word in the old translations, they were beseeching God, longing for him to help them. We, that, that was the conversation that they were having. And so, I really, I want to be comfortable and I want people to be comfortable with that prayer is... A conversation that you have with God. So it's interesting. All through the Bible we see people praying. From Genesis to Revelation. We see Noah and Abraham and Sarah. We see Isaac and Jacob and Leah. Moses, Miriam. We see David, Solomon, Isaiah. We see Jeremiah. We see um, Peter. 
We see Mary. We see, we see Jesus praying. We, we see uh, Timothy. We see the Apostle Paul. Uh, we see all these people praying. We see the angels praying. And it's interesting. They, they pray in the deserts and they pray on the mountains and they pray in houses and they pray in boats and they pray in the city and they pray out in the country. They, some of their prayers are out loud and some of their prayers are silent and some of them are long. And some of them are real short prayers and some of them are prayers of doubt. And some of them are conversations of great faith. And some people, they pray because they're afraid. And some people pray because they're full of courage. And I think, I think this is instructive. You know, you know one thing we never see in the Bible about prayer? Thank you. You never see anybody praying inside of a church building. And yet, for some people, that's the only time they pray is if they're in church. We never see that in the Bible. Because there weren't church buildings. The church was a group of people. We see the church praying. We just don't see people praying in church buildings. And yet, some people, that's the only time in the week that they even think about participating in prayer. Jesus taught about prayer the the early apostles wrote about prayer. So we can learn a lot from looking at the prayers of the Bible. In fact, that's one of the purposes of the Bible is so that we can learn from other people's examples. The apostle Paul wrote in Corinthians, now these things, and he's in this context, he's writing about some events that happened in the Old Testament. Now these things occurred as examples to us. We, we can look at other people's experience and we can learn lessons. These things happen to them as examples. So if we look at the prayers of the Bible and who, they, who prayed and how they prayed, we, we can learn some things. And here's something that I think we can learn very simply. Is that anybody can pray. All through the Bible we see people of all different sizes and shapes and and stripes of faith, we, different places in their belief of God, but they, they have conversations with God. Any, anybody can pray. Um, you can pray anytime. You can pray in the morning, afternoon. You can pray in the evening. You can pray in the middle of the day. Anytime. When you have a God who's everywhere and always available, you can pray anytime. You can pray anywhere. It doesn't have to be at church. It doesn't have to be like in your favorite chair in the living room when you're having your devotions. You can pray in the car. You can pray while you're at work. You, you, anytime, anywhere, you can pray about anything. We see this from the Bible. You can pray about any, anything of great concern to you is of great concern to God because he's your father and he loves you. And you can pray anyway. You can stand up, you can sit down, you can close your eyes, you can keep them open. So what the Bible shows us very clearly is prayer is a conversation. However, you might have a conversation with God. But he's longing for the conversation. For you to draw near to him. So that he can draw near to you. I mean, think about it. Think about being married to someone that you never talked to. I mean, what's real estate? 
the, the rule of real estate is location, location, location. They say the rule of marriage is communication, communication, communication. But imagine being married to someone you never, ever talk to. You never share delightful moments with each other. You don't talk about meaningful, substantive things. You, you, you don't share dreams. You don't, you don't really ever talk. Oh, there, you have your domestic conversations, you know, like, did you feed the cat today? And are you picking the kids up at four? And does the car need its oil change? We, we have those Con but we don't talk about anything meaningful. And some of you are sitting there thinking, Paul, you just described my marriage. And I ask you, how's that working for you? Is that what you always dreamed of? Is that what you longed for? Is to live under the same roof with someone that you never connect with? You might sleep in the same bed, or you might not. You might share the same groceries. You might kind of share the same, you know, responsibility. But you don't have a relationship with each other. That, that's not marriage. That's some sort of, like, legal obligation Marriage was intended to be a relationship where two people share their lives with one another. One draws near and the other one draws near and together they become what God intended. So how do you have a relationship with someone that you never talked to? I think prayer is that conversation. Does that make sense? You guys are giving me the same look I got in the first service. All right, we'll move on. Uh, second. Prayer is a tether to God. I don't know if that's the right word. It's the best I can come up with. It's a tether to God. Let me, let me see if I can explain it. When children are little, and I'm talking about like in a healthy home. When children are young, they're, they're tethered to their parents. Often moms particularly. You know what I'm talking about. Like your kids are dependent on you for everything. They're dependent on you for clothes and food and like any rides they need anywhere. You have to take them. Um, the, you're the first one they look to when they need help with school. Um, they, they need you for everything. And yes, the honest truth is it can be a little frustrating. At times, it's a little annoying. You think, oh, is anybody ever going to be able to put their own socks on? Is there ever going to be another moment in my life when I could actually use the restroom without company? I mean, yes, we, we have these moments. I, I, I read a really funny story the other day. Um, this mom had made a deal with her husband and her three kids. Husband and three kids. That they owed her a dollar every time they asked her to find something for them. And she'd find it immediately. Because they were too lazy to look hard for it. And so at the end of the story, she was celebrating that they were at the car dealer buying a new Ford Explorer with the money that she had saved. So yes... Our kids are tethered to us. And yes, at times it can be frustrating. It can be annoying. But you talk to any parent. 
who loves their kids and now they're all grown up and they've moved out on their own and they're pursuing their own careers. And every parent, if they're honest, it's, I, I take those moments back when they were tethered to me, I take them back in a second. I do that all over again. Because I liked, I liked being connected with them. Yesterday, I, I spent the day fly fishing with my two boys. They're 27 and 22. I treasure those moments because they're becoming fewer and further between as they get busier and busier with their life. So what is it about the heart of a parent that longs for that connection with their kids? Well, part of it is that being tethered to them, we feel loved and we feel useful and we feel helpful and we feel needed and we feel wanted. And maybe, just maybe, prayer is that way that we, we tell God, I need you. I want you. It's, it's how we stay connected to him. Does that, does that make sense? We talk, about, we talk about faith. And faith is simply trust. And all of us, we trust somebody and we trust something or we trust something. So I think prayer is just the most obvious way that we demonstrate to God that it's him that we trust the most. Because it's in the conversation that we're, we're demonstrating, I trust you to meet my needs. I trust you to be the help that I depend on. I trust you. So then prayer or the lack thereof vividly demonstrates what you actually trust. If I don't pray, then I'm simply saying I trust in myself. Or we keep demonstrating to God through prayer that I trust you. Maybe, maybe prayer is demonstrating that you're still faithing. I'm still believing in you with all the confusion and the questions and the doubts I have. I, I, I keep praying because I keep trusting that you and you alone is all I, that I need. You're like Elton John. I'm still standing after all this time. I'm still here. I still want you. I'm still trying. I'm still desiring you. I think of it as like, it doesn't matter how many times I strike out in prayer, I get back in the batter's box and I take another swing. In the faith that, that God is all I need. I think prayer is the way that we show God that we recognize that he and he alone meets our greatest needs and protects us from harm and gives us the power to live the lives that he's called us to. It's, that's prayer. Does that make sense? All right. Number three. Prayer is more about alignment than it is answers. Prayer is not so much about getting something from God as much as me giving to God a, a submitted self. It's about bringing my, my will, my desires, my wants up under what he wants. Not what I want from him. You know, it's interesting. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, uh, would you teach us to pray? 
And Jesus said, sure, I want you to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a great, it's a great instruction. Not taking anything away from that. But I think there may be something even more instructive about the nature of prayer. And it's looking at a prayer that Jesus prayed. I think we learn a lot about the way prayer works when we see Jesus in his most desperate moment. Look at this in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. This is just hours before Jesus would begin the whole journey of making his way to the cross. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, a garden. Um, and he said to them, I want you guys to sit here while I go over there. I'm going to pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. So those three separated from the rest of the disciples. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to those three, my soul is just overwhelmed with sorrow. To the point I feel like I'm going to die. Will you stay here? Will you keep watch with me? And then Jesus goes a little bit further. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he had a conversation with God. He said, Father, if it's possible, if there's any other way, may this cup be taken from me. Because he, he knew. He knew what the next few hours would hold. The mocking and the torture and the abuse and eventually the, the crucifixion by the Romans and his death. He, he said, if there's any other way that we can do this, I, I, that's what I want Yet, it's not what I want, it's what you want. That's the alignment. As much as I want this, the answer, I, I want more what you want. I, I think prayer is the way that we bring our will up under God's will rather than just trying to get stuff from him like he's some celestial vending machine in the sky that I, if I pull the right levers, I get my candy. Listen, folks, if your sole expectation of prayer is answers to request, it will always leave you disappointed, discouraged, and ultimately disillusioned. So I'm just inviting us, I'm inviting myself, quit making it about wanting stuff from God and more of wanting what God has whatever it might be, living there, trusting that whatever he might choose is, in fact, the best for me, even though it looks like nothing that I'm requesting from him. We got, we got to run. We got to run. But I, I, I want you to hear this one last quote. I, I saw this. I found this this week. It's so good. It's so good. Look at this. Worry is believing that God won't get it right. Oh, that is just like. You see, when, when all I do is request stuff from God and then I don't get it, I don't think he's doing it right. But if my intention is to come and submit myself, my will, my desires to what he decides to be best. 
and I trust it, then I, I don't have to worry because I believe that whatever I have in this moment is exactly what he thinks is right and best for me. I don't know that's the best I got. So let me let me leave you with this. What what if we could change our minds about what prayer is about? That it's not about request, but it's about relationship. Well, what if what if we could pray more like this? Jesus, I, I want to learn to talk with you for no other reason than I just want to be with you. No agenda, no request, no. I just want to talk with you because I just want to be with you. I, I, want, I want to move toward you in a sincere desire just to enjoy your presence in my life. We have a relationship. I want that. I'll commit to a life of prayer and the faith-filled confidence that you will meet me there. Just like you promised you would if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. So here's all I'm asking of you today. Would you take a week and just say, this week I'm going to open my mind up to reconsider prayer and its place in my life. That doesn't mean I don't ask God for anything. It just doesn't mean that that's all I do. I learn to relate to him as my father in heaven who's Interested in what I'm interested in. Does that make sense? So next week we're going to start kind of a, a new study. Still on the topic of how to have a relationship with Jesus. We're going to look at um, characters in the Gospels who had encounters with Jesus. We're going to ask, what did they learn from these people who related to Jesus? And uh, I'm looking forward to sharing some of that with you. But... Before we run today, let's take some time to be with Jesus and celebrate communion. For those of you who maybe know the elements for communion are underneath your seat. If you've ever wondered how much Jesus loved you, his answer is, I loved you this much. That I would die on a cross. I'd give my life for you. That's how much I loved you. That, that's how much I long for a relationship with you. That I'd give everything. And we were instructed to never forget that. The, the cracker was to remind us that Jesus died in our place. We're the sinners, we deserve the judgment, but Jesus took that judgment for us. And so he said, as often as you eat this bread, do this in remembering that I died in your place. cup 
It's a reminder that Jesus emptied his life, gave it all as a sacrifice for the payment of sin. And that the Father in heaven, his Father in heaven accepted his sacrifice as being the sufficient payment for the sins of the whole world of which ours are included. And it's by that sacrifice and that payment that we are invited into a relationship with Jesus. So as often as you drink this cup, do this in remembrance of Christ. So what do you say, Sybil? What do you say that we pursue a relationship with Jesus? Not, not a religion about him. Because there's no life there. Let's pursue a relationship with him. And one of the most frequent expressions of our desire for that relationship is a conversation that we have with him throughout our day. Let's stand together. Let me pray for you. Oh God, I ask, I ask just for this church family that you'd help us in our minds and in our hearts to shake religion, just lose it. The formalities and the do's and the don'ts and the ups and the downs and the things that you have to do and shouldn't do. There's no life there. The life is in your son. A life is in a relationship of love and trust. May we long for that. May we desire that more than anything in all of life. And may our prayers demonstrate just how much we want you. Not for what we can get from you. But just out of gratitude for what we've already received Do that work in our hearts, I pray and ask in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thanks, everybody. See you next Sunday.